0: This morning, we're going to see together that if we'll be a church that is shaped by Jesus, we will be a church that is compassionate. That word compassionate is a word uh, which we use often. Uh, We often think of compassion as a sort of a noun. It's a feeling that you have when you see someone else struggling and you feel pity for them. And that's a decent start, but it's not a good place to end. And what I want us to see this morning is that compassion is more than just a feeling, but in fact, it is an activity. Uh, It's it's something that you don't just feel, but that you do. The the Latin roots of the word compassion, it comes from ecclesiastical Latin. Uh, It's a word which literally means to suffer with. And so rather than just being a feeling, Compassion is a decision to let someone else's plight become your plight. To see someone else who's in need and to go toward that need so that you share the need with them, even though, strictly speaking, it's not yours. Compassion is a choice that a person makes to let someone else's suffering become their suffering because they choose to go and compassion. Suffer with them. Uh, I know that I'm right, that between last week and this week, we have yet another reason as citizens of our own country to see the great and desperate need for compassion. I myself was so caught up in this new misery that visits us that I I, I kept asking this question and I wonder if you asked it. Where's God? Some of you I see nodding, not just with what happened in Las Vegas, but with the weather and the way that it ruins the lives of so many. And with the madness that seems to plague us, uh, when we think we've gotten away from it, there it is again. So much suffering and misery in the world around us. And what you're going to see this morning is that if Jesus himself were here and we said to him, where is God in all of this mess? What he would teach us is that God is compassionate In the Latin sense, suffering with so that the answer to the question of where is God in all of that misery is that he is right there with every single person whose heart is breaking and who is weeping and who is lost and broken so that we'll see together that what compassion looks like, listen to this, is like standing in a line to give blood for someone else. We're leaving everything you have behind to go down to a place where the storm hits someone else's home so that you open your hands and you let their burden become your burden. One of the most outstanding features of Jesus' teaching, of Jesus' way of picturing God, is how over and over again, he shows that God is a God of compassion in the literal sense, that God chooses to suffer with those who suffer. And this is it for this morning. If we're going to be a church that takes Jesus' pictures of God seriously, if we're going to practice what Jesus shows, we are going to become a church which is increasingly compassionate. That is a church that lets the suffering in the world around us become our suffering because, and this is what I want you to see this morning, there are few things in Jesus' picture of God which are more important than compassion. Now, some of you know the Bible well. This morning, we're gonna look at the story Jesus told in Matthew chapter 25. Okay, those of you who have read the New Testament many times, and some of you have, you'll know that that's how Jesus wraps up his public teaching. The very last lesson which Jesus gives to large crowds is the one that we're gonna look at this morning. And you know this, right? There's something significant about a good teacher's last lesson. And that's what we're gonna look at today in Matthew 25. Before we open it, I wanna share something personal. And it is that my first lesson that I ever gave uh, to any group of people from the Bible happens to be the same story that we're gonna look at together this morning, okay? Jesus chose that story then because he is a magnificent teacher. I chose the story back in 1994 for my first Bible lesson because I was a fool, And I'm serious. The way I found it is I opened the Bible and I put my finger down and that's where it landed. And that's why I taught it. And I'm gonna tell you that background because uh, the setting matters. I had left um, Rutgers College the year before that. I'd finished uh, my undergrad studying physics and mathematics and I went off to become a teacher's assistant in Southwest Philly at a small school that was started for kids who were having a hard time in the public school. Now that year I began as the teacher's assistant for eighth graders and Some of you are teachers here. You know how unruly students can be. In Southwest Philly and in eighth grade, you can't imagine what it was like. Here was my strategy. The way I dealt with it as the teacher's assistant is while Mr. Archer was trying to establish authority and make his sort of uh, connection with the students in that way, I was behind him making faces, acting goofy, becoming friends with the kids in the class, especially Atif and Rashad and Clifton. It's a really good strategy if you're gonna be a teacher to make pals with the kids, right? That's how it goes. Was, right, Atif was the most charming mischief maker, and that's why I loved him. Uh, Rashad was a master of impersonations. He used to impersonate the principal, even down to like the hand motions. Shadi Riggins, he called himself. It was brilliant. I loved it. And then Clifton was, he was uniquely gifted in sarcasm. Have you ever known someone like that? Yeah. Oh, it was great. Until, until Mr. Archer had a nervous breakdown, and then the principal called me into her office, and she said, tomorrow, you are the new head teacher. Can you do it? I said, of course. Will you teach math? No problem. Science, of course. And then she said, tomorrow, you'll also have to teach them the Bible. Can you do that? Now, I'd gone to youth group, but I'd never taught anyone the Bible ever. And so I said, yes, of course I can do that. I left her office in a panic. I went to the library at the school. I found my way up into the attic. This was a a school that was in one of those old stone mansions in Philly. You know, these uh, if you've been to Philly, you've seen them, they're beautiful, that had been converted to this school right in Southwest where the rest of the neighborhood was just impossibly dangerous. And I sat in the eve of that house on that evening opened the Bible and I, f- I did this and here I was at Matthew 25 and the decision was not mine. It was God's decision for me. I think God wanted me to start in this way and, and the title of the section that I ended up teaching the next day is The Judgment of the Nations. How cheerful. <laughs> I came before those students and here's how I read. This is the very beginning of Jesus' story, the last lesson of that wise teacher and the first lesson of this fool. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Jesus is painting a heavenly picture The son of man is a a title that refers to God's anointed Messiah, the one that religious Jews in Jesus' day had long hoped would one day come back. And in Jesus' picture, there is this heavenly figure surrounded by all of the angels. It's celestial, it's magnificent. And before this messianic figure and there before all of the angels are gathered, all the people who ever lived, whoever will live, there they are gathered in this setting. And he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at the left. At the end of every day, all of Jesus' first listeners would know a good shepherd separates animals into their kind for the evening. The goats And the sheep don't stay together. They're separated apart. And there on the right hand are the sheep in Jesus' picture. And you may know the right hand is the hand of righteousness. That's why the word righteous starts with right. And the left hand, anyone know what the the Latin word for left is? Sinister. Too bad if you're lefty, right? Sinister. (laughs) On the left hand, that's where the goats are. There's a separation at the end of the evening in Jesus' story. And the one separating here is this heavenly figure of authority on the throne of glory. And to make it very clear, Jesus continues in verse 34, then the king will say to those at his right hand, come, you that are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, if there was any question for Jesus' first listeners, about what's he talking about. It's made crystal clear by what happens here. The king tells those at his right hand, the father, that is God omnipotent, the one who knows all, He has prepared for you a kingdom from before the foundation of the world and now comes the time for an invitation from me to you to enter into the blessed gift, not what you've earned, but the blessed gift that God has prepared for for you from all time. Here is Jesus' picture of a day that all of his listeners would have imagined, all of them, would come one day in the future, a day of judgment, a day where it was no longer time for human beings to make decisions about which way they would go in their lives and instead a day in which God himself would make decisions about all people and decide to separate them into two groups, one group into this blessedness and another group into distance from God, which the only way Jesus can picture it, we'll see in a moment, is through fire. A day of judgment. The first lesson that this Bible teacher chooses for a bunch of eighth graders. Uh, Can you picture me 23 years ago trying to look like a grown-up with uh, just this pathetic wispy beard? You know the beard that a guy grows right after he graduates college? There I am, and I stand before these students and say, judgment. I don't know what you think about it. I don't. But I would have guessed that when I got to this point, I would have utterly lost the students in my class, especially Atif and Rashad and Clifton, but they were quieter than you are while they sat there. And I think it was because in this moment, even though they're kids who I might have thought would want nothing to do with a picture of God in which God judges, I think they were on the edge of their seats thinking about themselves in that moment and wondering if that's how it actually is, which side will I be on? Now, I think a wise teacher will tell you what I'm about to tell you. It is a very, very bad idea to build your understanding of God based on one story. It's a terrible idea. I, just a few weeks ago, for instance, I stood here and, and showed you how Jesus pictured God as the one who justifies people uh, only because of God's mercy. That's it. If you ask for mercy... That's it. Here, there is a story that is going to show us something different. Wisdom is to hold all these pictures together. If you're in a connect group, which I hope you are, that's a group that our church has where you can talk about what happens on Sunday. You'll talk about this tension in scripture, okay? I hope you will. But in that moment, in that classroom, those students were wondering, which side will I be on? When Jesus told the story the first time, and he is a wise teacher, He chose it as his last story on purpose. When he told it, he knew that that crowd was filled with people who had already answered the question in their own minds of which side they would be on. They knew they'd be on the right side because they were descendants of Abraham. They had been born into it. Uh, There were others there, Jesus knew this, who would say, yeah, I'll be fine because I followed the rules. I've been holy like other people are not holy. I go to temple, I do what I'm supposed to do. I'm fine. There were others in the crowd that day when Jesus taught who would have said, well, I've started to follow this Jesus because I love his teaching. But every time I think about this final judgment, I'm terrified because I know I'm gonna be on the left side. I've been so awful my whole life through and through. Whatever you think about it, uh, maybe you're not a person who, who believes in this stuff. You're thinking, this is the part of Christianity that I hate the most when people start talking like this. Fine. Would you for a moment imagine if it were going to be like this. The question, and this is the key question, is how will Jesus picture God in this moment making the decision about where a person goes? What's he gonna use to make that judgment? Here is where Jesus shows how incomparably important compassion is to God himself. Do you remember what compassion means? It's not to be in a church service where you start feeling bad for people who don't have enough. That's not it. In Latin, the choice to suffer with. Here is where Jesus is gonna show how unimaginably important compassion is to God at the very end of his teaching ministry. Because after showing this picture of where God's gonna make this division, here is in Jesus' words the way that God describes compassion what it was that led to blessedness for the sheep on his right hand. This is in verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. Okay, please understand. I'll read the rest in a moment. This is the way Jesus describes God at the final judgment, speaking to those who are going to be eternally blessed by him. I, God says this, I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. I'm reading this to a group of students, many of whom have uncles or brothers, or fathers who are in prison while I read it. I'm reading this to students, all of whom walked past many hungry and homeless people on the way to school that morning, just like I did. I'm reading this to students who have in their own families, and maybe even some of them themselves, not enough to eat that day. And all around us in Southwest City, that shattered and broken mass of need are people who are mentally ill, who are not well, who don't have enough. They're all around us, and I'm reading this out loud in front of these students. In this moment, I'm gonna pause on the story for for just a, a bit, and I'm gonna try to highlight these three things about compassion from this story. Because I think we need to know them. Those of us who are Christians, who want to follow Jesus, who are here this morning because we're saying we want to be a part of a church that's shaped by Jesus' way of revealing what God is like, I want to pause here for this. We will have learned, most of us, that you are saved by grace through, help me out here, faith, right? You're not helping me out. (laughs) If we only had this story, and we have to take this story seriously, we would start by saying this, compassion saves Not a feeling, but the decision to go and suffer with another, according to this picture of Jesus, is what saves. I'm very glad this is not the only picture in the New Testament that teaches about salvation. But I'm also responsible for telling you, this is not the only story that Jesus tells in which there is a final division. It's not. There are 12 of them in Matthew's Gospel alone in which there's a good tree and a bad tree based on their fruit and the bad tree is cut down and thrown into the fire and the good tree is not. In which there are weeds and wheat growing together, both of them are harvested and the wheat go into the fire and, excuse me, the weeds go into the fire and the weeds is not. There's a house that's built on rock and a house that's built on sand. One of them will last, one of them will fall. There's a wide road that a lot of people take and it goes to destruction and a narrow one that few take that leads to life. Over and over in Jesus' teaching, there's a division. But here we must see that the criterion that we see on Jesus' lips in his last lesson is suffering with others, compassion And this is the second thing about compassion, which we have to see immediately. It is that compassion is simple. Uh, Some of us might have this sense that, wow, okay, salvation's come up. That's a complicated affair, whatever it says. I have to say this. On the one hand, there are so many uh, moments in Scripture where it's so simple. Just ask for mercy. Just know that you need God. And that's where salvation is. And that is absolutely true. And then on the other side, there's this message, which says "You, compassion matters. But do you see how simple it is again? How simple it is to find someone who's thirsty and give water. Or to share half of your sandwich. Or to give some cookies. And I'm not, that might sound trite. It's not trite. According to Jesus, the moment you are doing that, you are doing something holy and divine and something which gets Jesus' attention at the end of his entire teaching ministry. To go and sit beside someone who is lonely. Do you know how many lonely people there are around us? To be hospitable to a stranger, to welcome someone to your table, to sit beside someone you've never met before at lunch and start talking with them, to go to a prison where there are too many people there and choose to go there just to be with someone who's locked up and can't move. According to Jesus' picture of God, compassion saves, and it's just this simple. And then there's a third thing about it, which is so stunning, it's hard to know what to do with it. And that is compassion connects us with God in a way that is very surprising and is mysterious. And, and it comes through in what the judge says when he says not, there were some hungry people and you fed them, but you saw what he said, right? This is, this is Jesus' picture of God. I was hungry and you fed me. And that means That compassion, the choice to go and suffer with another person who's in misery, is actually, according to Jesus, the way we get to put our hands on God himself. That if we sit beside someone who's broken and miserable and lean into them in their misery, we are actually touching shoulders to God's divine presence. How? I have no idea. I don't. Why would God do that? I think the only answer that the entire Bible gives is God's decided to love every single person. How is it that God is there with the sufferer? Well, this brings us back to the question I raised at the beginning. Where is God in all of this mess of suffering in the world? The answer that comes through this story is that God is right there with the broken person. And if we wanna touch God, we have to go get our hands right on the, right on the need that is all around us. And we don't need to go far to do that today. That's true, isn't it? And this is a a moment where you don't want to shout out enthusiastically, but your heart wants to break because of all of the suffering all around you. But here's what Jesus wants. And I I love Jesus for many reasons. And this is one of the ones that I love him the most for. Is he wants us to see how simple it is to connect with God and how utterly wide God's heart is and it is that the king of glory, the, the magnificent God, the omnipotent judge himself has decided to come right down and be there with every single person who suffers. Wow. I, you know, I said at the start that I was a foolish teacher to choose this as the first thing that I would talk about at Cornerstone Christian Academy. It's more accurate to say that God is gracious and merciful to have chosen this story for me because of how far I was away from the truth that it declares because I grew up in Monmouth County, which is so affluent, unless, of course, you live in Summit where I now live. (laughs) And all of us are so blessed by God with power in the resources that he's put in our hands. And here I am now. Oh, I'm so far away from Southwest Philly. But here God has brought me to a magnificent church where there are people who are very, very happy. When I said as the new pastor, let's give away 2% of what's given here this year and let's get to 10% in five years. So just four years from now, that's what this church is gonna do. The question of whether we have enough for ourselves, which was a very live question when I arrived here as a pastor, thankfully by all of the elders and the staff together has been put in second place to whether we'll start giving money away now or not. And not, please understand this, not because this story of divine judgment scares us. That's not what Jesus wanted, although he might have wanted to shake us up a bit but because it invites us to care about what God cares about, which is the needs in the world all around us. What if we took this seriously? And that's a real question for you practically. What if you took this picture of God seriously? Before I address that, which I want to give some time to, I want to tell you what Jesus says in his story to the people who never chose to take compassion like this seriously, the goats. What he says to them is, I was hungry and you chose not to feed me. I was thirsty, you gave me nothing to drink. I was naked, you never gave me anything to wear. I was imprisoned and you did not visit me. And what the goats say is, my goodness, when... Did we not visit you? Just like the sheep had said when God said you did all these good things for me and the answer that God gives both to the goats and to the sheep is meant to come to us and that's there in verse uh, 40 where, where Jesus puts these words in God's mouth which we must take seriously. Truly I tell you just as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. And if we will not take this seriously, there may be a day where the judge says, you ignored me all your life long. Forget what you believed. Forget what you professed with your mouth. I was there and you didn't pay any attention to me. On the other hand, to the sheep, you fed me. You cared for me. You touched me. You helped me. And that is why you are blessed by my father in heaven to inherit this great gift And so here, if we take this seriously, you know what? We will look at the need in the world all around us as the presence of God and the opportunity to do the thing that seems to matter most to him, which is to be compassionate, to suffer with those who suffer. And Ren Cares has given us so many ways to do that. With kids who live around here who don't have Christmas gifts, who are in the foster care system, you'll have a chance to do that soon at Christmas time. Or to give food to kids who go to summit schools who don't have enough food to get involved in supporting ministries like Master Media where there is a spiritual hunger that is massive, to go and and be, be at work at the Goodwill Rescue Mission which uh, is right this very moment serving men and women who are homeless, who are in need, who are troubled because of addiction. Uh, maybe you will be a person who runs a half marathon. God bless you. I can't even run 15 feet without feeling too tired to, to bring clean water to Africa. Maybe you'll go to Guatemala on the mission trip that our church will be undertaking in April. Maybe you will hear this message this morning and, and literally everything behind you will go away and you will start something new because God himself is inviting you to let go of everything behind you. And I'm I'm being literal here and go off and do something for others and in that way serve him. Maybe you'll go on the Guatemala mission trip and when you go down to Hope of Life where Tom, the the pastor of student ministries and I were uh, back in May, maybe you'll go there and you'll see all the orphans that have been rescued by the benevolent Christian man uh, who started this whole mission, Carlos Vargas, and you'll see the hundreds of orphans that are there who don't have parents and you'll say, you know what, forget the rest of my life behind me. I'm gonna go move down there and I'm gonna become like a parent for them and as I feed those kids, I'm feeding Jesus. Himself. When Tom and I were there in Guatemala, we were at the orphanage and we saw this young couple interacting with these children. And I cannot tell you how many children there are there who just don't have parents. And I thought, that's beautiful. And the next day, we were eating in the cafeteria at Hope of Life and I saw that couple. And so Tom and I went and struck up a conversation with them. And they told us, We're thinking of selling what we've got and moving down to Guatemala and becoming mom and dad to those kids you saw us with. We're not sure if we should do it. And I kind of felt like God was saying, you should tell them that you think they should do it. That's a scary thing. I was a little hesitant. (laughs) But I prayed and the next time we talked, I said just a few things. I added, if you ever pass through New Jersey, would you please stop at our house? Because maybe you can stay at our house before you head off to Guatemala. (laughs) And I got an an email from them just a few weeks ago and then yesterday morning I got a text. We're about an hour away from your house. And they slept at our house last night and they're here worshiping with us right now. And their names are Evan and Hannah. And they're gonna become mom and dad. It's beautiful. And they'll be, according to Jesus, with God himself every morning and every night. It's not gonna be easy. And it's not. But every one of us, not many of us, let me say this, not many of us can do that. And very few of us can and very few of us are called to. Some are. But every one of us can take this seriously and change the way that we live in the world so that we are literally compassionate. We're suffering with others. And here at the end of Jesus' ministry is, I think, the strongest possible picture that he can give. It's like, a whole bunch of exclamation points at the end of his ministry that say, here's how important compassion is to God. And therefore, if you're going to be God's people, it has to be that, that important to you too. And not important in a frightening way, but in a joyful way, because you get to touch God if you'll do this. And so here is your pastor, your lead pastor at Renaissance Church saying, compassion is going to be a characteristic of our church. It is. And it already has been. That's why I'm so inspired and thankful. But it's gonna become more and more so as we go along. Now, in case there's one person who's thinking, well, it's good for other people, but I can't do anything. I, I have to say this. I cannot imagine an environment where that thought would be more tempting than the classroom in which I taught this the first time. In my arrogance coming from Monmouth County, there in Southwest Philly, I was tempted to believe that, gosh, I'm only pointing the finger at myself when I say this parable in front of these kids because what can they do? I'll tell you what, about a week and a half later, I was out playing basketball in the afternoon with Clifton, the master of sarcasm. I love that kid. Uh, I was pretty good at basketball, believe it or not. And I I know some of you are like, no way, come on. I could could handle myself out on that court. (laughs) And Clifton and I went down to Drexel. Uh, Some of you know Philly well. There's a a university, uh, it's kind of in the center of the city. We went to the basketball courts there and we played for a few hours and it was fun. You know, I had the adrenaline going. I wanted to show off for this kid, and I did some pretty good work. We got done. <laughs> I did. I'm not kidding. Uh, we got done, and we started walking back to my car. And between where we were and my car, there was what for me is was one of the you know most beautiful symbols there is: the the bell, the Taco Bell. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I see the Taco Bell, and I think. I know the administration told us, don't like treat the kids to things. That's not right. Don't do that. But thank God, Clifton says, Mr. Andrews, how about some tacos? Yes. So we start walking up to Taco Bell and there on the corner, uh, right there before the door, there's a man crumpled up in a heap, a homeless man, which is a very common sight in Philly. Uh, So common that even though I taught about that kind of thing just a week and a half before it, I didn't even see it. And as we got right up close to the Taco Bell, Clifton grabbed my sleeve and he tugged on it. He said, hey, Mr. Andrews. And he pointed and he said, there go Jesus. And I, I tried not to react because it was like God was saying, Christian, how blind are you? You're gonna walk right past me and you just taught this kid about that being me. Is there any hope for you? We walked into the Taco Bell. I got to the counter And I I just wanted that whole thing to go away. I ordered my tacos. I chose to get three. I almost always get at least six or more because that's how many I need to touch my hunger at the bell. And Clifton orders two. And now we get our tacos. And all I can think of is how embarrassed I was. And also, I kind of feel a little bit of disdain for Clifton, for making fun of God. But I can't blame him because his teacher was saying one thing with his mouth, but something different with his actions. We walked out. I'll never forget this. We walked out. We turn and I hurry quickly past the man. And now I'm just focused on getting as far away from that embarrassment as I can. And we're walking silently. And so I try to say something about the basketball to break the tension. And I don't hear anything from Clifton. And so I turn and I notice now he's not standing next to me. And so I stop and I turn around, and he is on his knees giving that homeless man one of his tacos. (laughs) There is not a single one of us who is unable to minister to God Himself by choosing compassion. To be with someone in their hunger, in their thirst, And, and we, we have so much to give, right? And I'm telling you this, as a church, I'm inviting you as Jesus would implore you to become a people of compassion. What do you say? Yeah. Great, great. Next year and in the year ahead of us, let's look back and say, Thank God by his grace we're growing to know him more as he invites us over and over again to be surprised at seeing him in the most unlikely places and how stunning that the God omnipotent who reigns in heaven and earth would choose to be right there with others who suffer. And thank God, this is me, thank God for Clifton and for God's grace in the most unlikely ways. Uh, Let's pray together. God, I thank you for every opportunity that you yourself in your grace have given us to be astounded by your presence in those who are in need. God, would the effect of our having been together for this time on our hearts be that we are made to be people who are more compassionate, more willing to suffer with others and in that way prioritize what you apparently prioritize. Acts of simple mercy and grace and kindness and presence. God, would you inspire us to become not only individuals who are compassionate, but a church that is a church which is compassionate as you yourself were compassionate so that we ourselves will know you as we are with others in need. And so that you use us to be what this world so desperately needs which is a community of men and women who have our priorities in order and who care about the least of these and in that way care about you yourself. I thank you God for the memories that are behind me. I thank you for what you did to me personally when I was in Philadelphia. God I pray simply that you'd have mercy on us and that your mercy would make us people of compassion and I pray for this in Jesus name.